in here follow that story the last, last few weeks? I mean, isn't it amazing? These boys and their coach who were lost were then found. They thought that they were going to end up dying in the cave, but instead they ended up alive. And I was on vacation, but even on vacation, kind of disconnected. I saw it on social media, people celebrating because these boys who were lost were found. They were dead and they were alive. And what do you do when something of value is found for you? Like we talked about a couple weeks ago, you celebrate and you have a party and that's what they were doing. And this rescue mission, it took over 10 countries, took hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. They were trapped in the cave for 17 days. It cost millions and millions of dollars. And one man, in the midst of it all, gave his life so that these boys could be rescued. And by any sense of the word, this was a prodigal rescue mission. And now, some of you might be a little confused by that statement because for a lot of us, when we grew up hearing the word prodigal, we thought that it meant wayward or sinful, right? And so we never wanted to be labeled the prodigal son or the prodigal daughter or the prodigal child. And actually growing up, I, I thought that's what the word meant, but prodigal actually doesn't mean sinful or wayward. It actually means recklessly extravagant. It means lavish. It means spending or giving until you have nothing left. And in the parable of the prodigal son, which we're going to be looking at this morning as we continue in this series, Party People, we hear about a prodigal son. That is a son who is recklessly extravagant and lavish and spends all of the money that he has, the inheritance that he gets. And finally, he comes to a place where he feels like he needs to come back home and he kind of turns from that life and he comes home. And what happens when he comes home? This boy who was lost and is found, who was dead and is alive, there's a party, right? And I don't know if y'all know this, but in the Bible, the little titles above each passage, those are put there by, by biblical editors. Those aren't in the original manuscripts. And so this parable could be called the prodigal party, the extravagant or lavish party. You could call it a number of different things, but that's what we're going to be looking at today. This story of one of the greatest parties in the Bible. And this story um, comes as the third parable in a set of parables that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 15. And a couple weeks ago, I talked about the first two parables where Jesus talks about how someone lost a sheep. And then he talks about how someone lost a coin. And now the intensity level kind of increases because now he's not talking about a lost object. Now he's talking about a lost person, a lost son. And so we come to this parable in Luke chapter 15. And parables, if you weren't with us, I, I kind of did a longer explanation a couple weeks ago. Parables are simply stories that Jesus uses in his teaching that use everyday common objects to convey deep spiritual truths about the kingdom of God the character of God, and how we're called to live as the people of God. And they're like windows through which we can look and kind of get a better view of who God is and how God's calling us to live in the world. And I know that for many of you in here this morning, you've probably heard this parable, the parable of the prodigal son or the parable of the prodigal party at some point growing up. And so the easy thing to do for us is to think, okay, check out, I've already heard this one, I know the ending, I know the lesson in it, right? But what I want you to do this morning is I want you to hear it again with an open heart, with open ears, with fresh eyes. And so this morning, we usually put the scripture on the screen. We're not going to put it on the screen because I want you to just try to listen and try to hear the story 
again. And I want you to pray that the Holy Spirit, like I've been praying, will speak to you in a new way and that you'll hear something different in this story once again. And so it's in Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, telling them these parables. And he says this. There was a man who had two sons, and the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided the property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up. And he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger. Put sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf. And kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He is lost, but now he is found. So they began to celebrate. And meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he's come back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Friends, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord endures and stands forever. And most of us, when we hear this story, we immediately think about the prodigal son, right? We kind of think about him in this first part of the parable, going to his father and asking for his share of the inheritance, which is basically in his day like going to his father and saying, Father, I wish you were dead. Give me what you were going to give me. And surprisingly, the father gives him the inheritance, and so he takes the money, he goes off to a foreign land, and he spends it lavishly, extravagantly, till there's nothing left. And now, the parable doesn't give us all the details on how he spent his money, but I want you to picture yourself as a 20-year-old 
with, let's just say, $300,000, what would you have spent it on? Party. Party. Some of y'all might have spent it on video games. Some of y'all might have bought a house. You know, a few wise people in here might have bought a house. But most of us, if we're honest, we'd be embarrassed by what we would have spent all that money on. And we probably wouldn't still have it today. But that's what he did. He took the money, he spent it in a reckless way until he had nothing left. And then finally, as a Jewish man, I mean, this would have been the most humiliating thing he could do. He went and began to work with pigs, and he got so hungry that he actually wanted to eat the food that the pigs were eating. And finally, in the midst of that wilderness experience, he kind of comes to his senses. He has this, this turn in his heart. He begins to feel repentance, and he says, you know what? I'm sorry for what I've done, and I'm going to make the long journey home. And I'm going to apologize to my father. And I'm not going to try to, to come to the household like everything's normal again, but instead, I'm going to go and I'm going to ask to be one of his hired servants. And I, I can just imagine him replaying what he's going to say over and over again in his head. Because if you're anything like me, if I'm having an important conversation, sometimes I like to kind of go over what I'm going to say ahead of time to make sure I don't mess it up. So I can imagine him kind of making this journey, saying to himself, Father, I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned against you, I'm not worthy to be called your son, can I be a hired servant? Father, uh, I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned against you, and just making that journey home. And I don't know how many of you have ever found yourself in a position like this prodigal son, where you've had to go make an extreme apology. Or after you've had a broken relationship for a long time, you've had to make the journey home, and you've talked to the person again. But you can just imagine the level of shame and all the stuff running through his head as he traveled that long journey back home. And you can imagine him thinking about his older brother that he left behind to take care of his father and to take care of the farm. You can imagine him thinking about his father and the pain that it must have caused him when he said, give me my share of the inheritance. I mean, he's probably thinking about the embarrassment that he has and how he'll never be able to repay the debt that he owes his father. He's going through all of those things and he's so shameful that he's not even asking his father to be part of the family again. He's saying, look, I'm not worthy to be called a son. I just want to be hired help. I just want to eat and survive. And so he's making that journey home. He's walking and then the next character in the story kind of comes into focus. And that's the father. And now, when the boy was a long way off, the father saw him, and he went inside his house, and he locked the door, and he sat inside, and he waited for the son to come and knock on the door. No, that's not what the parable says, right? No, the parable says that he saw his son while he was a long way off. Almost like he'd been looking for him. He saw his son while he was a long way off. He ran to his son and he embraced his son. He hugged him and he kissed him. I mean, we could call this parable <clears throat> the parable of the prodigal father. The father who has extravagant and lavish love for his son. Because the father, he doesn't even let his son get out the full apology, right? If you notice that. The son starts into the apology, and before he can even finish what he's been practicing saying, the father just embraces him and says, look, we're going to have a party. The father doesn't ask him to repay everything. The father doesn't make sure that his life is all cleaned up and, and that he's completely clean and has a fully changed heart. No, the father 
recklessly embraces him and says, let's have a party because the son of mine who was lost is now found. He was dead and is now alive, right? That's good news. That's what the father does for the son. And now look, there's a lot of times, there's large gaps between the culture of the Bible and our culture today. And sometimes it can be hard to bridge them. But one of the things I want you to see is that a grown man who was respectable in his day did not run. That would have been an absurd thing to do. That's like imagining the Queen of England in a full gown with a crown on, sprinting down the streets of London and then hugging somebody, right? That's crazy. He would have been running. He would have been pulling up his robe. He would have been showing his ankles in a way and his legs in a way that they didn't do back then. But he didn't care because his son was lost and was now found and he wanted to show him love. And so then what did they do? They threw a prodigal party, a party that was lavish, that was extravagant, that gave no regard to how much things cost. They killed the fattened calf, which was reserved only for special days and extremely special occasions. And the calf would have fed tons of people. And so we see that tons of people are invited to this party all over from the community. And the music was loud, right? Look, the parties in the Bible, they weren't like, okay, they're just like, you know, playing some classical music in the background. No, they are parties. The music is loud. There is a ton of dancing. And it's interesting to note that the parable says the music was so loud that the son, the older brother, who was far off in the fields, he heard the music. But not only did he hear the music, he heard the dancing. Somebody can explain to me later how that works. I don't know how you hear dancing. It must, I mean, that's just a crazy party. This is a crazy, ruckus party that's going on. It's lavish, it's extravagant, and the older brother hears it, and he doesn't know what's going on until someone comes out and tells him why they're celebrating. They tell him the good news. He's been found. There's been restoration. Come on and join the party. But the older son, he's not happy. He's not celebrating, and he's not rejoicing. Instead, he's filled with anger. And self-righteousness. Because he's been working hard all those years while his brother was out having fun. His father never did anything like that for him. He didn't even have a small party for him. Here, the father is showing this kind of love for the son, his younger brother. And he doesn't even say, look... My younger brother, when he's talking to the father, he says, look, your son, the relationship is broken here and he is refusing to come into the party and to be part of the family and to celebrate his brother that has come home. And so while he's out in the fields, instead of sitting and waiting, the father goes out running and embracing. That's what the father did for the younger son, right? Instead of sitting and waiting, he went out running and embracing the younger son. And now, as the older son is sitting outside the party, the father does the same thing. Instead of sitting and waiting for his older son to get his act together and to get over his self-righteousness and come in the party, instead of that, the host of the party risks shame and dishonor for himself, and he leaves the party. And he goes out to his older son and pleads with him to come inside. And that's where the parable ends. We don't know whether the older son comes into the party. We don't know whether the younger son actually got his life together 
and becomes a respectable member of the family again. We don't know whether the people after the party snickered and laughed and said, man, I can't believe the father wasted all this money on this party, but it was awesome. We don't know a lot of those details. But what we do know is that the father in this story is very much like our heavenly father who instead of sitting and waiting on us comes running and embracing us. You see, God's grace is like the father we see in this story. God seeks us out. He runs towards us and he embraces us. He doesn't wait until we get our act together. He doesn't wait for us to get cleaned up and to look proper and to act proper and to talk proper before his love comes to us. No, he meets us right where we are in our lives with his arms wide open, with his embrace so that we might know his great love, the forgiveness we have through Jesus Christ and the new life that he wants to give us. He comes to us with arms wide open, wanting to embrace us. God's provenient grace, as we just sang about in that song, it's reckless. It seeks us out. It climbs the highest mountain. It will kick down any door. God is chasing after us, desiring a relationship with us. And all we have to do is turn around and receive that embrace. When we're addicted, he's there. When we're living exciting lives and crazy lives like the prodigal son, he's there waiting for us. He's there and ready to embrace us. When we're living boring lives, he's running after us and he's there again. No matter what we've done, no matter who we are, no matter where we find ourselves in life, God is like this father. He is running after us. His grace is seeking to embrace us and to transform us. And I want to help illustrate this. So I need a volunteer. I need a volunteer who's brave enough to come on stage. All right. Okay. Come on up. So, everybody, let's give Wayne Mimler a round of applause. Let's thank him that he came up so that I didn't call on one of you and you had to come up, right? Let's all be grateful for that. So, I want to kind of illustrate how God relates to us. Because a lot of times, we think God relates to us in this way. Let's say that I'm God, which I'm definitely not, if you know me. Let's say that Wayne is um, one of the sons, He's estranged from God, either through his self-righteousness or through um, the reckless ways he's been living. So what happens is we think, I want you to walk in that direction with your back towards me. We think this is how it is, right? When we're kind of running away from God, when we're turning from God, that we're going off in that own direction, and we think God is way over here, and that God is very distant from us when we're in these situations. And a lot of times we actually even picture God like this, right? We picture God with his back towards us. And so the thought of us turning around and coming home and having a restored relationship with God, we think, okay, Wayne, turn around. We think, okay, this is going to be a long journey. We're going to have to do a lot of work to get here. We're going to have to get our lives cleaned up. We're going to have to learn how to say the right things and speak Christianese and all of that. And then when we get to God, we're going to have to figure out how to convince him to turn around and embrace us. That's how a lot of us envision our relationship with God, but it's actually not like that at all. Come here, Wayne. Actually... When we're running from God and we're moving in the opposite direction of Him, when we're living our own lives and, and living on a path of sin, I want you to walk in that direction. Actually, how God relates to us is like this. God is walking towards us. 
He is with us so that that moment when we have that turn in our heart, like the prodigal son, when we come to our senses and turn around, he's here. He's here with arms wide open (laughs) to embrace us. Let's give him a round of applause. That's how our God is. He's right there. His grace is seeking us out. He's chasing after us. All we have to do is turn around and receive that embrace. You see, God, he didn't look down at the world and wait for the world to invite him to come and fix things. He didn't look down at the world and say, okay, you know what? They're getting themselves cleaned up a little bit. Now I'm going to send my son Jesus into the world. No. God so loved the world that he sent his son Jesus Christ into this world to save us while we were yet sinners. While we were still dirty, still in our brokenness, still in our shame, still in our guilt, he sent his son Jesus Christ into this world to embrace the cross so that we might experience the embrace of God. And so this morning, I don't know where you are in your relationship with God, how you identify yourself in that little image there. But if you find yourself this morning and you feel like that that you're somebody who's on that trajectory moving away from God, I want to let you know that God is chasing after you. He is right there behind you. He brought you here this morning. He is standing there with arms wide open and He is calling you to simply turn around and to receive His embrace. And to embrace the new life through Christ that he wants to give you. A life that's full of forgiveness. That's full of blessings. That's a life that's abundant life here and eternal life in the future. He is there and he's just wanting you to turn around. That is simply repent. Turn from your old way of life living on your own and turn towards him. And receive the love and all of the good things that he wants to give you. And so if that's you this morning, you feel like you're headed in that direction if you identify with one of these sons who is estranged from the father, the question for you this morning is, will you turn around and receive his embrace? And if that's you and you feel like God's stirring in your heart this morning, I would love to talk with you after the service and to pray with you, but but you don't even have to have a pastor do that with you. You can do it yourself. You can simply say to God, God, I'm tired of, of doing my own thing. I'm tired of living on my own terms and my own direction. I want to turn towards you. I want to receive your embrace, the embrace that's possible because of Jesus Christ this morning. That's all you have to do is turn in your heart and with your life and just receive his love. But I know that for many of you here, you felt that embrace. You have that assurance that that God has embraced you. You've experienced his love and his goodness, and you've had those moments in your life where you felt like God was chasing you down, and you finally turned around. And so the question for you this morning is a little bit different. The question for you this morning is when you encounter someone who is running far from God, when you encounter someone who's living in a hell on earth right now and needs a little taste of heaven, when you encounter someone who's living a life of shame, of guilt, and regret, and who's headed in the wrong direction, the question for you is, are you going to be like the Father, and are you going to run and embrace them so that they might know the embrace of God, or are you going to be like the older brother and like the Pharisees that Jesus was talking to?
Are you going to sit around and wait for them to get their act together? And then maybe embrace them and then maybe celebrate if they really prove how good they are to you. And I don't know about you, but I want to be someone who is like the Father, running and embracing other people. I want us as a church to be a church like the Father that instead of sitting and waiting is going out and running and embracing others so that they might know the embrace of God. Because a lot of times when I'm reading this parable, I think, what if the Father hadn't run and embraced his son? What if he sat inside with the door closed and waited on the son to make it all the way home on his own? I imagine that son walking on that long journey home and him getting to a place that reminded him of stuff he and his father used to do together. And I imagine fear overcoming him. And I imagine him thinking, you know what, I, I just can't do this. And so he turns around and he goes to some other farm where he can be a hired hand there. I think about the son journeying through the village and as he's journeying, he thinks, you know what, what are these people going to think of me now that I'm back? Once they discover what I've been doing these last few years, once they discover who, who I am. And I can see the shame and the guilt and the regret overcoming him and him just heading off somewhere else. I can see him making that journey, getting to the edge of his father's property, to the midst of that unknown and the new life that was awaiting for him, and him just thinking, you know what? I'm going to go back to that life, that old life that I used to know, because at least it's comfortable. And then I think, what if we as a church sit and wait for others to come to us instead of running and embracing them? Because the reality is there are tens of thousands of people right around us who are estranged from God. There are people in Hampton, McDonough, Locust Grove, Griffin, Stockbridge, whatever city you call home, there are people there who are living lives of shame, of guilt, and of regret. They have no idea what God wants to offer them. There are some people who, who used to be a part of Harvest Point, used to be a part of churches. They, they used to know the embrace of God, but they've kind of rejected it and ran from Him a long time ago. There are other people who, quite honestly, haven't given God a second thought in a long time. There are some people who are living really wild lives around us, but then a lot of people are just kind of living normal everyday lives and they're so busy they don't think about it much all of those people are right around us and we have to ask ourselves are we going to go out and run and embrace them or are we going to sit and wait for them to come to church because here's the reality you know a lot of people despite what you read in the media and see on TV and everything they still have a pretty good view of God when they read the Bible and they read about Jesus, they like the Jesus that they read about here. When it comes to things of spirituality, there's actually a pretty high level of interest. What people don't like is the church. 
And so the idea that we can just sit here and we can wait and we can have something cool or have a great sermon series and all these people are just going to flood into the doors, the reality is that's probably not going to happen. For a lot of people in our community, instead of sitting and waiting for them, we've got to go out, we've got to run and embrace them and share the love of God with them right where they are so that they might experience the embrace of God. They have no idea the new life that is awaiting them. But God has put you in their lives on purpose and for a purpose. And so we need to be a people who go out, who run and embrace. And then once we embrace people and they've experienced the embrace of God, what should we do? We see in the parables we should celebrate. We should have a party. We should celebrate when someone who is lost is now found, when someone who is dead is alive. We should celebrate whenever there is restoration and there is new relationship with God, our Heavenly Father. That's what he calls us to do in each of these parables in a lavish and an extravagant way. And I'm excited this morning that we're not just going to be people who talk about it, who talk about partying and celebrating, but we're actually going to have the opportunity to do it this morning. Because this morning, in just a minute... I'm going to go out, I'm going to put on some other clothes, and then we're going to have two baptisms right over here. And when we celebrate those baptisms, as Heather and Cynthia go into those waters, what we're celebrating and what we're remembering is that when they go under those waters, they're dying to an old way of life and they're being raised to new life in Christ. And as they come out drenched and wet, and as their hair is probably all kind of crazy, what we're remembering is that the Holy Spirit is drenching their lives. It's cleansing them of their sin. And you know what? If we all look a little crazy, that's okay. Because we're remembering the Holy Spirit wants to do crazy things with our lives. And as they go into the baptismal waters, what we're remembering is that God is embracing them. God this morning is saying yes to them. And they're opening up their arms and they're embracing God as well. And so when they come out of those waters, I want everybody on their feet. I want everybody clapping and cheering because this is going to be a celebration. There is celebration in heaven this morning because of what's going on here in God's kingdom at Harvest Point. And then after that, we're actually going to welcome them and four of their family members to membership here at Harvest Point. Because at baptism, it's not just God's embrace of us, our embrace of God. It's also the church embracing new people new members of the family of God. And so we're going to celebrate that. And so I hope you're excited. I hope you're pumped. I hope that you will celebrate, that you will clap, that you will take pictures, and you will spread the good news that Jesus is alive. He is still working. He is chasing us down. He wants a relationship with every single person in this community. And like we sang earlier, we will do whatever it takes to help make it happen. And so I want to invite you to stand as we celebrate together, as we sing this song, and as we say this prayer together. God, we thank you for your great love. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. God, we thank you that you will climb up every mountain. God, that you will risk it all, that you are a prodigal God who chases us down and seeks and saves us who are lost. God, us who have run, us who have walked. God, us who have simply turned from you in big ways and small ways. God, we thank you that you're there ready to embrace us. God, we thank you that your son Jesus embraced the cross so that we might know your embrace. And God, we pray that as we sing, as we remember, 
as we celebrate these baptisms, that you would fill us with joy. Fill us with a spirit of celebration, God. Fill us with boldness so that we might go out and we might seek and search and help find other people. We thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thousand stories of war. They think you're alive, but I.